From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seawick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. Several years ago, I was asked by Lansing Community College to put something together for a walking tour of the campus. And being a person that likes walking, and also somebody who at that point had taught history with a pretty good local focus uh, when and where possible for a number of years at the college, I got really excited at this. I thought, wow, this would be a great opportunity to throw a little bit of history into a tour of the beautiful campus of Lansing Community College in downtown Lansing. And so about the same time, I happened to come upon an archive of what turned out to be about 9,000 photographs that had been scanned in to the college by our marketing department. At that time, a few years prior to my endeavor to embark upon an information piece for a more formal tour of the college campus. And one of the things I discovered in looking through those archive photos was not only how the college campus had grown through the years and its location in downtown Lansing, but also there's a real sense that came through in looking at those photos that the growth of Lansing Community College's campus, which has really been from basically about 1960, mid-1960s on, was part and parcel to a lot of the overall changes that were happening in downtown Lansing at the time. And those changes, in turn, were part of broader trends across the state, across the nation. So, in this episode of Land Stories, we're going to look at the history of Lansing Community College, the physical presence of it, right in downtown Lansing. And in doing so... Let's look at a couple of the interesting points that come into mind when it comes to where Lansing Community College's campus development fit into some broader trends of the time. And the two trends I'm referring to specifically, one of them is a local trend, and that is the change in downtown Lansing during the, we'll call it the third decade of the post-war era. So that would be from the mid-1960s on. And then second of all, that's tied into urban renewal. Urban renewal being more than just the buzzword, but it tied into a lot of federal programs and state programs in the United States, beginning really in the late 1950s, that Lansing Community College would ultimately be substantially impacted by. The history of the college starts really in 1957. Lansing Community College was started as a vocational technical school, which a lot of the community colleges, not only in Michigan, but across the United States were. And its founding goes back to April of 1957. And part of it is the endeavor of the recently deceased Philip Gannon. Dr. Philip Gannon is the founding president of Lansing Community College. And the work that he put into the founding of that college really started while he was a graduate student at nearby Michigan State University. And and Dr. Gannon had an absolute fascinating life 
and left his impact on really the mid-Michigan community, and I would argue the state as a whole, on countless numbers of lives, actually, in terms of all those folks that were fortunate enough to attend Lansing Community College and earn certificates and degrees and accomplish transfer programs while they were there, that, you know, few people actually have, I think, in the grand scheme of things, uh, in life. And, and that's really one of the things that makes the, the founding of a college, this is what Dr. Gannon was part of, is something that's so remarkable. But 1957 is the year that Lansing Community College started a presence in downtown Lansing because, as we will see, Lansing Community College has been in downtown Lansing in one form or another, and it's been a pretty big form since the college was founded. So 1957. Where did Lansing Community College exist in 1957 in its founding? And, well, the answer to that question takes us to Capitol Avenue. So imagine for a moment you're standing with me on Capitol Avenue in 1957, and the part of Capitol Avenue you're standing on is the 500 block, and you're staring at this red-colored building, red brick building, that has floor-to-ceiling windows, and occupies the better part of an entire city block, and that block is bound by going clockwise, Shiawassee Street to the south, Seymour Street to the west, Genesee Street to the north, and Capitol Avenue to the east, which is where we're standing in our imaginary look at downtown Lansing in 1957. And the building we're staring at was the first building built by the Lansing Public Schools for use as a high school. And it was built way back in the 1870s. And in fact, that building itself came to be known as Old Central. It, by itself, will be a focus of a subsequent episode of Land Stories. So keep on tuning in to when our program is broadcast and when it's archived in podcast format. And you will uh, definitely be interested when we get that show up and running here in a little while. But for now, we're going to look at 1957. And the building that we are staring at right now, even though it was built in the 1870s, by the time 1957 rolls around, it really looks nothing like it did at the time. And for those of you who are wondering right now, well, I think he might be talking about the same building I remember as Old Central. Well, indeed, you're correct. I am. And for those of you who have been around Lansing for a while... Uh, you know Old Central well. It was the building that Lansing Community College started in, and indeed, it's because that was an educational institution in its very physical form, the building itself, that big red brick building that stood there that was around at the time that Lansing Community College was able to use it to hold its first classes, and it had an a administrative presence in there as well. Now, that building, again, it looked a lot different than it did when it was built in the 1870s. And by the time Lansing Community College got a hold of it, the main differences were mostly a result of a substantial remodel and expansion of that building that the Lansing Public Schools had done way back in the beginning part of the 20th century. Lansing Community College did some more remodeling of that building. And that building uh, and the college's acquisition of it outright in the 1960s is very much the foundation by which Lansing Community College would come to expand throughout the downtown Lansing area. Now, let's look across the street then from that Capitol Avenue building. And again, we'll 
step back in time in our imaginary time machine, and we will focus on 1957, as we're looking to the other side of Capitol Avenue, that would be the east side, we see some old houses that line the street, a couple of which are still on Lansing Community College's campus, one of which is the Rogers Carrier House, the other which is the John Herman House. The Rogers Carrier House is a red brick building with sort of the color of tarnished copper, uh, wood ornamentation on the uh, front and side gables, as well as some of the window trim of the building. And it is a Darius Moon architectural gem in downtown Lansing. Darius Moon was a very well-known architect in the Lansing area. He designed a number of historic properties in the area. Probably the most famous house that he designed, unfortunately, doesn't stand anymore. That was the mansion that Ransom Eli Olds had built for his family in the heyday of his pioneering automobile industry contribution that he made through the founding of the Olds Motor Vehicle Works, which really became Oldsmobile. And then the longest legacy he had in Lansing would be in the form of the real motor car company, which existed in one form or another till the 1970s. And now the building that we call the Bolgie Tower in downtown Lansing. Well, that was a Ransomy Olds financed construction back in the late 1920s, early 1930s. But the building we're looking at right now, designed by Darius Moon for H.M. Rogers, who was a local realtor. He had that house constructed in 1891, and it was used uh, by the college after it acquired it in 1967, furiously as a bookstore, as a location of the college foundation office, and also as the location of offices for faculty and staff in the college campus. That house that's still on Lansing Community College's campus, as well as the house next door to it, the John T. Herman House, these are going to be the focal point for the remaining part of our radio walking tour of the campus. So we're going to walk a little bit further south, right next door, actually, to the John T. Herman House. We go and... It is right next door to the Rogers Carrier House. The Herman House was built just a couple years after the Rogers Carrier House, built in 1893, and John T. Herman, of whom the house takes its name from, was a local tailor. He ended up having a, a very prominent role in the Lansing business community at the time, is well known, and the construction of his house tells us that he did quite well with his business endeavors. That house was acquired by the college about the same time that the Rogers Carrier House was acquired, both in 1967, and just as the case with the Rogers Carrier House in the 1980s, Lansing Community College students, as well as local contractors, worked on restoring the house. It was designated as a historical site in 1987, and then the house more recently has had some Necessary renovations done to it as well to keep it standing, and it currently stands as the house that the Lansing Community College president lives in. And I like to think of that house as sort of the kind overlooking property of the area, and perhaps it sounds a little bit odd to affix a emotional quality such as kind to a house, but it just has a stately look to it. It faces Capitol Avenue, and behind it, sits the Shigematsu Memorial Gardens 
as well as the rest of Lansing Community College's campus, and it therefore serves as a nice gateway into the beautiful college campus. So, carrying on with our radio walking tour, we are going to walk onto the property of the John T. Herman House. We're going to walk around the south side of it, and we're going to enter into the property through the beautiful Shigematsu Memorial Garden. That memorial garden was built in the first decade of the current century, and it is named in honor of some folks that were involved in a program that Lansing Community College once had with a business and educational institution in Shiga Prefecture in Japan. Shiga is the sister state, if you will. They're called prefectures in Japan, but roughly the same equivalent as a state in the United States, to the state of Michigan. It's a beautiful garden, and if you're ever on Lansing Community College's campus, I strongly encourage you to take a stroll through it, especially in the summertime when the koi are swimming around in the pond, when there's a nice little gentle breeze blowing through the garden, and it is a very pleasant place to spend a few moments contemplating. The connection of the natural world with humanity's never-ending attempt to, in some way or another, influence it. From that point on, we are going to walk a little bit to the east, not much, just a couple hundred feet, and we're going to encounter the first major construction project that Lansing Community College endeavored to embark upon on the college's campus, and that would be the Arts and Sciences Building, which was built in the 1960s. This is really where the overall picture of Lansing Community College's campus takes place in terms of taking the shape that it would now and being impacted by those two broader state and national trends that I mentioned towards the beginning of our episode here. One would be the changes in the development of downtown Lansing throughout the 1960s and beyond, what I think we can definitely consider to be part of a national trend, which is urban renewal. And in fact, it's the construction of the Arts and Sciences Building, the time frame that it happens in, why it was put where it was, and why it ended up looking like it did, actually, that in many ways tells the story of Lansing Community College's role in Lansing and in Michigan in the 1960s. And we're going to have to take our story back a little bit to Dr. Philip Gannon, as I mentioned a few moments ago in our episode here. Gannon was the president of Lansing Community College at the time the Arts and Sciences Building was constructed in the late 1960s. And just a couple years before the construction of the Lansing Community College Arts and Sciences Building was nearing completion, the state of Michigan passed one of the most important pieces of legislation that it had ever passed. And that would be the Community College Act of 1966. Act 331 of 1966. This is a very important act because what it did is it enabled community colleges to organize themselves into districts that were funded by a combination of property tax millage, just like a public school district is, as well as tuition and other state and federal monies 
just like a university is. And as the funding sources for community college was and still is, a blended model between how a public K-12 school district is financed and how a university is financed, so was the case with the blended model of governance that the Community College Act in 1966 authorized. So community colleges in Michigan are very much governed and funded as a blend of the model that the K-12 districts in the state use, as well as the model by which universities use. And that makes our community colleges here in Michigan a really unique asset that we have. They are community assets, and they are funded by the community that they exist in and the community writ large when you look at the availability of students to attend those colleges and pay tuition, as well as the state and federal funding that they receive. But the reason why I'm mentioning this act right now is because when the Community College Act of 1966 was passed, it caused the community colleges that were already in existence at the time, such as Lansing Community College, to reorganize their governance structure along the same lines that this act enabled them to do so. And that meant the election of new boards of trustees and the uh, administration of the funds through these various funding sources. So out of that, the Lansing Community College Board of Trustees is looking at its enrollment in the 1960s and it decides that it's time to build a new instructional building on the campus. And that building ultimately took form as the Arts and Sciences Building, and construction of that building was nearly complete by the time we get to 1968. But the context by which that building eventually takes its shape in is the really crucial part to the story in many ways. And as I mentioned again towards the beginning of the episode, the construction of the Arts and Sciences Building is a good thing to focus on because in many ways, the building itself is kind of a microcosm of what was going on at the time. Downtown Lansing, by the time we get into the 1960s, was undergoing some of the same challenges to other downtowns throughout the United States, not only in cities the size of Lansing, but cities that were also smaller and those that were much larger. In the 1960s, to make probably the most important point in somewhat of an overly simplistic summary, it was the time of suburbanization. Or I should say the expansion of the time of suburbanization, which has actually started, well, even before the Second World War, but really we generally associate with that starting in the 1950s and then continuing right on through the 1960s and beyond. So 1966, when the Community College Act is passed in Michigan, we're very much at the height of this trend towards suburbanization. And if you look at where most community colleges ended up building at this time, they built out in the suburbs. And Lansing Community College, had history worked out a little bit differently, might have ended up that way. But the college leadership at the time ended up doing something that was really quite remarkable. When the college realized that their enrollment figures and the projected enrollment figures for the coming years and perhaps even the coming decades was going to necessitate 
that the college put together a strategic master plan of what its future would look like, including its physical plant. In other words, the buildings, the other physical assets that make up the college campus, was to be located. The college decided to send a survey out to the residents of what would become the community college district. And in that survey, they asked residents of the Lansing area, the mid-Michigan area, to choose from a series of proposed or possible locations that the college would be able to build a campus at. One of the options in that survey was downtown Lansing. The college at the time was operating in some buildings that already existed in the area that is the college campus now, but had reached the point where it needed to really build a campus of its own rather than acquiring buildings that were already there that weren't necessarily purpose-built for what the college was going to use them for. So the survey went out to residents of the area, and the most common selection that the people who took the survey made out of all the options that were given to them was to keep the college in operation where it already was in the buildings, and that is in downtown Lansing. So at the time when you had community colleges being built or expanding out in the suburbs, I think of places like Oakland Community College, Macomb Community College, Kalamazoo Valley Community College, uh, just to name a, a few of more that I could offer, Lansing Community College ended up expanding its footprint right in downtown Lansing. And it's the process of that expansion that brings Lansing Community College and its physical presence into line with a couple other trends that were going on at the state and national level at the time. At the state level or the local level, downtowns were undergoing a dramatic change during this time period. Prior to the Second World War, for example, most of the retail districts in communities were in the main streets or street corridor in the downtown area. And so Lansing, for example, had its main shopping district or retail district that went up and down Washington Avenue, Washington Square as it's called in places, right in downtown Lansing. And what happens is, is after the Second World War, the United States falls deeply, madly, probably permanently in love with this thing called the automobile. Of course, the automobile had been around for quite some time by then. The first automobiles were experiments by uh, European inventors in the latter part of the 1800s, and then American inventors about the same time, a little bit thereafter. And by the time we get into the 19-teens and the 1920s, we have giant industrial corporations like Ford Motor Company, General Motors, to name but a few, that have built the automobile into a really, really important consumer product. After the Second World War, prosperity was the name of the game in the United States. It was not a prosperity that everybody shared in, economically speaking, but nonetheless, enough people did that the consumer purchase of the automobile proliferated. And cars need roads to drive on. And when people have automobiles that they want to use for doing things like shopping, 
There has to be roads that go to those stores, and there has to be places to park those cars. So in Lansing, during this time period, the 1950s and into the 1960s, the retail corridor that had been Washington Avenue or Washington Square in downtown Lansing for a long period of time starts to be abandoned for the suburbs or places that aren't quite out in the suburbs but are getting kind of close. In Lansing, the Frandor Shopping Center is built in the late 1950s, named after one of the major post-World War II property developers in the area, a gentleman by the name of Francis Core, And the Francis Core company is who developed Frandor, and it's called Frandor because Francis Core and Doris Core, Francis's wife, is who that shopping center is named after. And this isn't a history of Frandor, but the reason why I mention this is because the draining of the retail corridor in downtown Lansing had a profoundly transformative effect on the city. And it is out of this that downtown Lansing is faced with something of a real turning point in contemplating what it's going to look like in the next 10, 20, 30, or 40 years. Communities across the state and across the nation face the same contemplative moment. And this is partially where urban renewal comes into the picture here. Urban renewal is a terminology that is used to describe a variety of projects that were done in the post-World War II era with the uh, expressed intent of renewing or in some way redeveloping urban environments that had fallen on hard times or were deemed to be under some sort of distress due to changing economic conditions, such as, for example, the draining of retail corridors away from central city districts, such as Washington Square and downtown Lansing, and out into more suburban outlying areas. So it is out of this broader picture, then, that the residents of the Lansing Community College District selected downtown Lansing to be the place by which Lansing Community College would expand. And the first major project to be part of that expansion is indeed the Arts and Sciences Building, which was built in the late 1960s. And as I'm recording this episode, I am staring at what is an absolutely fascinating picture, and I shall do my best to describe to you what it looks like. I am looking at a picture of the Arts and Sciences Building under construction in 1968. It is a lovely color photograph that captures the life in a day, if you will, a moment in time in a way that good photography, be it be good because of the technique at which the photographer utilized, or good because of the subject matter that it covers, or both, is something that oftentimes does this. And in the lower left-hand corner of this lovely photograph, there is a sign. The sign is indicating the construction project, what financed it, and what was going on. And it is a, a moment in time that is captured that shows, well, it shows funding that is being used to pay for the building. It shows local contractors that were hired to construct the building. And it also shows vehicular traffic able to move through 
what is now the pedestrian mall in downtown Lansing. And the Arts and Sciences building abutted Washington Square, Washington Avenue. Now, it's hard to imagine walking through the campus of downtown Lansing, which is very much pedestrian-friendly and not intended for the automobile to go through. In fact, one cannot drive a car legally uh, unless it's for purposes of construction or, say, the police officers that drive their cars around it, the Washington Mall through Lansing Community College's campus. That was close to pedestrians in the mid-1970s when another major development in Lansing Community College's campus came about. Back to our photo. The Arts and Sciences building is nearly complete in this photo in 1968. The construction sheds that were built over the sidewalks, both on the Shiawassee Street side, that would be the south elevation of the building, and the Washington Square side, that would be the east elevation of the building, are still there in this photo. But the concrete and brick facade that is nearly unchanged now in the year 2022 from what it was back then has completely taken form. The building's windows have been installed, its roof is in place, and it is nearly ready to embark upon its position as the anchor of 1960s and into the future redevelopment of downtown Lansing and the outward forward-thinking progress that that building came to symbolize as part of Lansing Community College's growth and development into the future. That will end this episode of Land Stories. Next episode, we are going to look at the construction of Lansing Community College into the 1970s and how that would continue to play a major role not only in the redevelopment of downtown Lansing, but also in the lives of the tens of thousands of students who would attend Lansing Community College. For now, next time you're walking through downtown Lansing, take a stroll on the Lansing Community College's campus. Notice the, by now, 140 years of history that the buildings in that campus encompass. Stand on the corner of Shiawassee Street and Washington Square. Look up at the Arts and Sciences Building and imagine what the future in 1968 looked like. Not only for those who were working on the finishing touches of the construction project, but also for the students. The students at Lansing Community College in an endeavor to make their future a better place and what that building says about what that future ended up being. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seawick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories.